All right, all right, all right. Are we ready for the chosen? Oh, man, I like a little bit more feedback than that, you know? I don't know. Did you need to get some caffeine? I'm not sure. The Chosen kicks off this Wednesday at 7 o'clock in our parking lot. And uh, yes, we've called it a drive-in, but you probably don't want to sit in your cars because the view is better and you bring a chair and you sit in the parking lot and watch the screen. So uh, looking forward to being with all of you this Wednesday as we kick off uh, this movie series, this TV series. Uh, and The Chosen again at 7. So I want to begin with asking the simple question, what is The Chosen? I don't know about you, but when I heard about this, I had to ask that question and search the internet to find some answers. It's worldwide. I don't know if you know the internet is worldwide, but it is. And I found this answer, and I put it in your notes if you want to use them today. The Chosen is a multi-season television series drama based on the life of Jesus Christ that portrays Jesus, and this is the key, through the eyes of those who met him. And you kind of got a picture of that as you watch that trailer. It's really through the eyes who met him and their story as they encountered Jesus of Nazareth. Now, The Chosen was created and directed and co-written by Dallas Jenkins, who's an American filmmaker. You might know the last name Jenkins if you have in your library at home the Left Behind series, his dad, Jerry Jenkins, co-wrote that whole series. And so the pilot episode of this Chosen was released in 2017. And then the first season with eight episodes, which is what we're going to be watching, was released in 2019. So it's really brand new. What's also interesting, I found this, uh, like, wow, The Chosen is the number one highest crowd-funded project of all time at $10 million raised by 75,000 people who donated to make this happen. And that's how that's working, and it's going to continue as such, and we'll, we'll be watching season one. Uh, season two has already been released, and then they're in the works and raising funds to produce season three, and then there's multiple seasons to come after that. And so as we watch this, we decided as the pastors to discuss and, and think this through, accompanying the Chosen of Grace Hills today, we begin a new sermon series, The Chosen in the Gospels. Because that's where the chosen takes place. It's in the Gospels. It's from in those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we get the stories that are told and portrayed and acted out in this film series, this TV series. And so Pastor Mike, Pastor Matt, and myself will be team teaching through this for the next four or five weeks as we go through and relate to what we've seen and talk about that. Which then I started thinking, well, what's the purpose of the sermon series? Like, what are we after? What are we trying to do? I put this in your notes up on the screen. To explore the gospel accounts as depicted in the chosen television series so that we may be transformed by Christ. While it is entertainment to a level, there's something deeper to happen here in watching this. And there's something deeper to happen for us here. Just like the people that we see, we're those people today. And they were transformed by interacting and knowing Christ the Lord. And we want to see that happen for us today with the help of a film series, a TV series like this. And while this message serves as more of the introduction, uh, the remaining messages will look back at what we saw on the previous Wednesday. That's how we're going to approach this. And the Gospels record what happened between Jesus and those who met him and how their lives were transformed. And then I started thinking, chosen. Well, that got me thinking, and I thought to myself, chosen. 
Well, the chosen could refer to the Son of God. He's the chosen one of Israel. He's the chosen Savior that God sent. The chosen is the 12 disciples. The chosen are those who have met and followed Christ. There, as we're going to see in the Gospels, and those of you today, as Ephesians would tell us, that we've been chosen by God to walk with him. And we have that opportunity to choose to respond to his calling. And then I started thinking the word choices. Choices, choices, choices. Most of us like choices, but if we get too many of them, I'm just like, no, it's too many. I can't figure it out. And I started thinking about choices, and I put this question in my mind, and I put it up in your notes, is what pivotal choices? These are key. These are the biggest choices ever, okay? These are pivotal to the existence in the historical account of anywhere you would look. What pivotal choices throughout history brought us to where we find ourselves today? So I could spend four weeks just talking about and answering that question, but I just want to highlight four. Four that stood out to me. The first one is the pivotal choice of creation. The pivotal choice of creation. The timeless, invisible, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, uncreated one, that is God, he chose to create. Do you realize, do we recognize that he did not need to do this? It was his choice to bring about creation. This was his independent, pivotal choice. Creation was designed to bring glory to God. Creation is meant to exalt God. That when we would look at creation, we go, there's got to be a designer behind the design of whatever it is you're looking at. And that's God's choice that he made creation. Genesis 1 records the six days of creation, culminating with the creation of a thing we call human beings. Genesis 1.27 puts it this way. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. God's choice of creating us as humans. That's the first pivotal choice. The second pivotal choice that stood out to me that I want to highlight is the pivotal choice of what I call free will. The pivotal choice of free will. Beginning with Adam and Eve, God chose to give all human beings a will. The ability to act as we desire. And since Adam and Eve, every person who has been born has been given the faculty to freely decide on and initiate action. Big or small. Whatever age level, everyone has the opportunity with a will that's been given to them. And what's so most significant about free will is this one. It's that we can either choose to follow and obey God or not. <laughs> He's given us that capacity as humans to do that. And I got the picture of this from Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden and of Eden, and he worked it and kept it. And the Lord God commanded the man, that's Adam, saying, You shall surely eat every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. He's created the garden. He's created these humans, Adam and Eve, to be in this garden. And it's pretty clear. Obey God and live. Disobey God and die. <laughs> Death is going to come about. And Adam, it's your choice. 
It's your call. I would say that's a rather pivotal choice, wouldn't you? To one to make. Because what we see is if we jump over to Genesis 3, page 3 of your Bible, we see the choice of disobeying God. And there we have sin in the world and we live now because of their choice in this fallen world. Which is you watch the news, you read the news, you go, man, it is fallen. <laughs> right? So the pivotal choice of creation, the pivotal choice of free will, another one that brought us to where we are today is the pivotal choice of sending a savior. Of God's choice to send a savior. And as I thought about that, my wrote, this is what I wrote. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? When I stopped and thought about this this week, why would God send a savior? Well, because we're sinners. Okay, I get that. But think of it this way. Why would God do this? Since Adam and Eve freely chose to sin, why would he do that? Plus, they did not accept the blame for their choice that they freely could make. Eve blamed Satan, and Adam blamed his wife. And if you've ever watched and followed politics, now you understand where blaming someone else for your problems comes from. It is from the garden right here between Adam and Eve of I'm placing blame on somebody else for what's happened. It's not my fault. So why in the world then did God make the pivotal choice of sending a Savior to save us from our sins when we freely disobeyed him? I'm glad you asked because scripture has an answer. 1 John 4.10 says this, In this is love. Love is the reason. In this is love, not that we have loved God, obviously, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. This is what God has done. Because God loves sinners, God the Father sent his chosen son into the world to choose and save sinners, to be in a relationship with them, to save people from their sins. Creation, with all that we know and see, human beings, free will, and sending a Savior, which brings us to this final one I wanted to highlight of pivotal choices that throughout history brought us to where we are today. And that's the pivotal choice of those who met Christ. The pivotal choice of those who met Christ. And their story is going to be shown in these series of, of, of films, of, of, of TV shows that we watch. It's depicted in the Gospels as it unfolds. And just like today, the people we'll encounter in The Chosen have pivotal choices to make about this Jesus Christ. This man from Nazareth. This rabbi. This one, as the rumors are starting to swirl around, that does miracles. And that when he teaches, he teaches with authority. And one of these people that we're going to encounter this week, he was shown in the, in the clip is a guy by the name of Nicodemus. He's a religious leader, and he's going to go to Jesus in the middle of the night. That's what John 3, 1 to 21 talks about. You might have heard of verse 16 in that. Well, that's within that context of Jesus communicating to him about being born again. And Nicodemus' story, along with the others, brings us to where we find ourselves today. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, they've encountered him. How did they respond? 
What, what, what happened here? In other words, to put it another way, as a text we're going to look at today is, is who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who is this Jesus in the chosen? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior of the world? Is he? And I want to submit to you this question of who do you say that I am? I want to ask you, who do you think is asking this question? Mike has given us the answers for years here. When you don't know what to say, this is what you say. Who do you think has asked this question? Jesus. Gee, very good, class. The answer was pivotal for those who met him, and it still is today. So if you got your Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is where I want you to be, and I hope you'll go there for a few moments with me. And I want to look at these verses and camp out here for a moment. And uh, hopefully make some sense of, of today and, and where this goes and takes us on this journey of watching the chosen. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 13 to 20. As I hear the pages quiet down and your digital screens, well, they were always quiet. Here we go. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to him, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Jesus asks a question here that cannot be ignored. His question requires an answer. He's looking for a response. And we have one from Peter as he responds. In this TV series, Jesus won't ask everyone this question, but I can, I can just tell you why watching it, everyone wants to know the answer. Who is this man? So let me camp for just a few minutes in these verses because this, I was kind of jumping up and down when I read through this passage and studied it. I don't expect you to have that reaction, but I do want to offer just some insight here. Um, this is the perfect setting to ask this question. This is what got me excited. It says here in verse 13 that they came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. They didn't go in there, but they came to it. This is north of the Sea of Galilee, about 25 miles, 30 miles, about 1,700 feet of elevation. On up, you go to Mount Hermon. And it says here this is the district of Caesarea Philippi. Well, we've heard of Caesarea. We've heard of Caesar. We've heard of Caesarea on the coast, the Mediterranean, which has waves, by the way. And here we are in Caesarea Philippi. So Philip said, I want to distinguish the other Caesarea from this one, and I'm going to call it Caesarea Philippi. 
And he's 16 years old when he becomes the tetrarch for this area. And he's governor of this area. What's also interesting to me is that through the course of history, and you look back in time, this was the place of Old Testament worship for the, for the mythic god Baal. And then you jump forward, and it's the location is the place for the Greek mythic god Pan. So with this backdrop in mind, and Roman having a view of Caesar being God, and past gods all in this region, can you see why this is interesting that Jesus would ask, who do you say that I am? There's been lots of discussions about men and about gods in this district. And I don't think that's missed on these disciples. It gives me chills just thinking about the timing of Jesus asking his questions. In the verse 14, we have the response of their disciples, John the Baptist. Now, if you look back at Matthew 14, you see that John the Baptist has been beheaded. He's dead. And so what this implies is they're thinking, maybe he's been resurrected. Maybe he's been reincarnated because some of these pagan gods held to that. Maybe that's what's unfolded here. Some say Elijah because he's the forerunner of the Messiah to come. We're guessing here. We're throwing darts. We're trying to guess here. Jeremiah. Why Jeremiah? Well, because he had this thing against Israel. I don't know if you've been in the PT with God, but he said a lot of things against Israel and God's judgment. And do you remember what they did with Jeremiah? They rejected him. Guess what they're going to do with Jesus? Reject him. I'm going, oh man, the parallels here are just mind-blowing to me. And then they have the rest of the prophets. They're trying to figure out who is this guy. In verse 15, this is the greatest pivotal question and implies the correct answer is yet to be given as the test has been distributed. <laughs> we haven't heard the right answer. Let's try this again. In verse 16, we have the region of false god worship, as I mentioned, and public opinion is out there about who Jesus is. And then Peter responds. It's kind of like, dun, dun, dun. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, you are the Messiah. You're him. You're he. You've come. Period. I also like it how Peter says, you are the son of the living God. In other words, you are unique. Because who are all the other gods around this area in this district? They're all dead. <laughs> you, on the other hand, are the living God. Do you see why I could get excited about this text? There's just so much going on here. And then Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed, in other words, you are highly favored by God's grace that you would know this. It's Simon Barjona or Simon, and you'll see him this week in the series. That's his, it's his human given name, right? But verse 18, we see that Jesus is going to give him a new name, and that's Peter, a name given by God. And then he's going to talk about the church. This is the first time that the word church is used in the New Testament, in the Gospels. It's used one other time in the Gospels, and that's in Matthew chapter 18. Notice also, he speaks of the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades. Again, I'm jumping out of my seat looking at this. This is the realm of death, is what he's referring to. It's where the dead go. 
And what does he say about the gates of hell? Or the realm of the dead? They will not prevail. He's given them a clue saying, guess what? I'm about to go to the cross and die. You're going to see that. We won't look at it, but it's in verses 22 and on. And I'm going to die. And guess what? The gates of hell, death, will not prevail. Because I am going to be resurrected from the dead. Are you getting this? There's so much richness in these few verses that I could spend again days just looking at that. And then he says in verse 19, you're going to be given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Is it literally a key? Well, maybe, but really it's about authority. Given to Peter to proclaim Christ to the Jews in Jerusalem, Acts 2. And then mostly to the Gentiles, as we see in Acts chapter 10. And then in verse 20, why did Jesus forbid to share who he was? Well, if you caught it when they were responding, they're trying to figure out who he is. And everybody else is trying to figure out who he is. Which means there's probably some misunderstandings of who he is. Even amongst the disciples. And if you have figured out everything there is to figure out about an infinite God, come talk to me. (laughs) We're still in the same boat, right? And so he says, I don't want you to go out. It's it's not going to work. Now is not the time. But back to this question, who do you say that I am? While Jesus won't be asking the question in the TV series, you'll see in episodes we watch that many people are trying to figure him out. Is he the Messiah? All right, in the few minutes I've got left, I got to come and drill, drill, drill and make some sense out of all this, out of my excitement. So let's say it this way. This gets me excited too. Let's say you are in one of these, you are one of these people in one of these episodes. And let's say that the episode is live. And let's say it's right here, right now. And the camera pans to you. Or to you, or to you, or to you. And the camera's now on you. Okay? You're in the scene of the chosen. And you've got to come to grips with who is this Jesus? What's your answer? To put it in another way, I said, what say you? I once watched a pirate movie that had that in there, and there you go. What say you? Right? Three questions. One that's personal, one that's practical, one that's purposeful. Here we go. What say you? Personal. Who do you say Jesus is? That's a personal question. What say you? This is a pivotal question that Jesus asks in Matthew 16, 15, not just of Peter, but of all the disciples. And here's the significance of the answer. What you say determines where you spend eternity. (laughs) No joke. Your answer says where you're going to spend eternity. It's not just, ah, I'm just going to guess that you're some guy that's like a Elijah. Wrong answer. You don't want to get the wrong answer. You want to get the right answer. I remember as a child, my aunt one time asked me, I know you know about Jesus, but do you know him personally? No, I don't. And that's the day I received Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And so the same is true for you today. Personally, do you know who Jesus is? Who do you say he is? What say you? The second question moves from a personal to a practical one. It's practice. Who does your life say Jesus is? Who does your life say Jesus is? What say you? What does your marriage say? 
if you're married? What does your singleness say if you're single of who Jesus is in your life? How about if in your career? If you're blessed with kids, how about in your parenting? You might say the right answer that he's the son of God, he's the Messiah, but who does your life say he really is? How about to your neighbors? How about to the person who's calling right now? How would you respond? Right? How about your finances? Who, who would you say that is in your life? Look, in Matthew 16, 15, we read that Peter got the right answer in word, but how about in practice? Oh boy, here we go. All right, so in practice, look at Peter's reaction when he learns of Jesus' future plans to go to the cross. This is in verse 21. If you've got your Bible, you can actually go down there and look. And from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Remember about conquering death? The gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of the, the, the realm of death will not prevail. Verse 22. And Peter took him aside. Jesus, we need to talk, all right? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, this is God, by the way, he's rebuking. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And look at what Jesus says. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I thought his name was Simon, son of Barjona. I thought his name was Peter. There's a name that he's now been labeled. Why? Well, let's keep reading. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he'd let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Oh. <laughs> so it's not just knowing the right answer. It's who does your life say Jesus is? In practice. And I think of myself and I wrote it, yikes, with an exclamation point. <laughs> but then I wrote to myself, but then again, Bill... When's the last time you told God what he should do and not do? Have you been there? Oh, just to think on that. You see, to practice Jesus as Lord of my life, it's like coming up to a yield sign when you're driving. You understand what yield means, do you not? It's probably a good idea you do. But you have a choice of how you're actually going to live out the word yield or the action of yield, right? The same is true in our lives as Christians. We can know the answer, but then when it comes to saying, God, you're God, I'm not. Am I willing to yield to his authority? And by faith, trust him that his way is best for me, even when it doesn't make sense. The question is personal. The question is practical. The last one I want to submit to you. What say you? The purpose. Who is Christ's church to you? Who is Christ's church to you? In Matthew 16, 18, 19, Jesus speaks of the church. He's speaking of believers, of followers of Christ, of Christians. And the important question for you, the important question for me is, what's your purpose for being at Grace Hills Church? What's your purpose for being here? What say you? All right? And the answer would be Jesus, right? We get the answer. But is it Jesus when you come to worship? 
Is it Jesus that you want to honor through fellowship? Is it Jesus you want to know through discipleship? Is it Jesus you are seeking to serve as you serve others? Is it Jesus you're seeking to share as you share the gospel with others and take one of these cards and invite someone to be to the chosen? What's the purpose for you when it comes to the church? Like Christ, we're to be others-centered. So a personal question, a practical question, a purposeful question. My guess is, is that we can put it this way. You would say, well, Jesus is Lord. Right? And my, I want to submit to you, if you say Jesus is Lord, then, then what? If you come up with the right answer, and I'm sure you could all could, how do you live for him personally, practically, and purposefully? I had to ask this question myself and just kind of go back and go, okay, this is, this is time out here. You were excited about the text. Now think about it for a moment and settle down and think about what it comes down to living like this. Here, here are some steps that I came up with for me that I'll share with you. Number one, if you say Jesus Lord, then reduce you and increase him. Reduce you and increase him. To reduce you and increase him requires something that we all just love and embrace and post on Facebook and Instagram everywhere. It's called humility. <laughs> we really don't post humility there. We post, look at how great I am. I wondered how many people would drop following me if I posted all my mistakes. If I increased Christ and what was less of me. And if I went with the answer to that. <laughs> You see, in this idea here, for us as his fathers and dads, is this being seen by your kids? <sighs> I'm processing that one. <laughs> Am I reducing me and increasing him? John 3.30 puts it this way, he must increase, but I must decrease. The words of John the Baptist, in other words, letting go of my pride. I put something up on the screen. I just want to ask a question. How many of you have seen this image before? Raise your hands. Those of you online, raise your hands. Thank you. All right. Do you know where the, what this verse is tied to? This symbol? It's, it's John 3.30. He must increase. He must become greater than I am. If Jesus is Lord of you, what's it take to move beyond this starting point of reducing you and increasing him? That brings us to the second step. If you say Jesus is Lord, then renew your heart and mind daily. Renew your heart, renew your heart and mind daily. You see, to reduce you and increase him as Lord of your life, it takes continual renewal your entire life. Faithfulness of walking with Jesus. Colossians 3, 1 to 3 puts it this way. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above or set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. To be a godly man. My kids need me to renew my heart and mind daily to be a godly dad. They may not realize that, but I do. I have to be on my knees. I have to be in the Word. That's why we provide in your bulletin PT with God, as we call it. And we're starting with the Gospel of Mark tomorrow. 
Think of it this way. Renewing your heart and mind is like watering a garden or irrigating a crop on a farm. It requires that being on a regular basis. It's not, well, I watered it once. It should be good. That'd be like going to church once a year on Easter. Oh, wait. People do that? No. Um, so, so this is the idea here, right? We have to realize like, hey, this is going to take some effort. If I'm saying Jesus is Lord, if I'm going to reduce me and increase him, I've got to let him fill in and renew my heart and mind daily. Like you'd be watering your garden or watering a crop that brings about fruit, that brings about food. You have to nourish it. And then I had to get real with myself. Remember, I said these are for me, and I'm sharing with you. If Bill says, if you say, Jesus, Lord, as much as I reduce me and increase him by renewing my heart and mind daily to keep Jesus as Lord of me, I need to rest in his grace. I need to rest in his grace. Why do I need to rest in his grace? Because as one former pastor I served under told me when I was struggling with the issue of sin, he says, Bill, you're human. Oh, I didn't think I would ever feel that temptation before. It's like, you're human. Like Peter, I'm going to fail at times. And when I do as a follower of Christ, as a husband, as a dad, I need to rest in his grace. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 puts it this way. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, right? But... If anyone like Bill does sin, we have an advocate. We have a defense attorney, if you will, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation. He is the atonement for my sins, for our sins. And not for the sins of me just only, but also for the sins of the entire world. I need to rest in his grace when I blow it. And you know what comes to my mind <laughs> when this happens? When I need to rest in God's grace for failing to keep Jesus Lord. I put it up on the screen for you. I think of these photos and this story. So I had the opportunity to go what was called Porsche Ren Sport a number of years ago at Monterey at Laguna Seca Raceway with friends that I had worked for and known for a long time. The photos on the left should not have ever been taken. You should have only seen the photos on the right. Getting ready to go out on the track. And Bill Perone, the driver, racing his 1964 Porsche Elva. But because of my failure, during qualifying, the front wheel came off. And he nearly crashed the car into the wall. Because I had failed to check to see if I had torqued the lugs on the wheels. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to blame it on the other guy who's on the other side of the car looking over at Bill. That's Jimmer. He was the best man at my wedding. He's a good guy to blame, right? And so the work that you see the photos on the left is because we had to repair that. And we were able to get back and, 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 and go racing and everything. 
The next hardest thing to do was to go tell Bill, we know why the wheel came off. We failed to torque the wheels as we're supposed to. Here's what he said to us. Thank you for telling me that. It's racing. In other words, you're forgiven. Failure is going to happen. So when I think of blowing it, I come back to this story. And I'm reminded that I have a heavenly father who goes, thanks for telling me. You messed up, you fessed up. Rest in my grace. In other words, you heard that. And I think about it in life. Have you lost a wheel on the race of life? You failed. Go to Jesus. Rest in his grace and then get back in the race. Get back on the track. And put the pedal down and go for it. Because the checkered flag is coming. We don't know when that is for our lives, right? So, so Wednesday, 7 p.m., we begin The Chosen. As you watch the series, look at the people who meet Jesus and watch them wrestle with who is this Jesus. And you're going to see it gets personal, it gets practical, just like it does for each one of us. But then that's what happens when you encounter Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. God, we look forward to this series on Wednesday nights. We pray that people would come to know you as Savior through it all, God. We pray, God, for your favor and your blessing upon it. And God, wherever we are in our walk with you today, I just pray, Lord, that we might... (sighs) Well, we know the answers. We got that figured out, I think. It's putting it in practice both personally and here at the church. It's reducing us and increasing you. It's renewing our heart and our mind daily through your word. And then when we fail, to not have you be Jesus as Lord in our lives, may we rest in your grace. God, bless this series as we watch it and take it in. For your honor and for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.